Hi Ved, what's up? How have you been? Hi, hi, good, 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 bro. It's been a good week, still in memory of a good birthday. <laughs> but uh-huh. uh, yeah, it's a pretty significant week for other reasons as well. I just yes. noticed that we're talking on the twenty fifth. So as usual, like the old stories and like the the pictures of the of blank front pages from the emergency days come up. Mm-hmm. So you know you you start reading some article which you miss each year. There's something which you've never heard of before about the thing. Exactly. And, yeah. I mean, how do you sort of uh, prevent the barrage of uh, articles and the barrage of commentaries that take place in light of the emergency? So, for those of you who perhaps uh, aren't keeping track of the calendar, and it's easy to lose track of the calendar, honestly, in lockdown, uh, it's been 45 years since the emergency was imposed by Indira Gandhi's government in 1975, and that, at least officially, is the darkest phase in India's democratic history. The emergency went on for close to two years before Indira Gandhi called elections. Um, in a very surprising move, in fact, and uh, of course, she would go on to lose power. I have heard a lot of people saying, Ved, that today we are living in the midst of an undeclared emergency. I've been looking at a few articles online that talk about how today's situation is actually worse than what happened in 75. Today, under Modi, uh, if you look at the way institutions have been co-opted, uh, the way freedom of speech has been curbed, the way right-wing ideology is flouting all across India's democratic corridors, do you actually think that we are in a worse position now than we were in oh, Definitely not. Definitely not. And I, I mean, I don't want to sound right-wing apologist or right-wing, which is very easy to, it's very easy to sound as if you're a Modi defend, defender these days, right? But I, I want to like put perspective, put things into perspective, right? The emergency was the darkest like time in independent India's history. There's a, it's absolutely like, the, you must have an abysmal idea of what happened in the emergency and an abysmal idea of what's happening today to compare the two, right? I think, Indira Gandhi as a politician also was vastly different in her policies and her approach to just politics from Modi. I think, especially like just the, you mentioned co-opting of institutions, right? I think the manipulation of law or the manipulation of the mandates of institutions is definitely happening. The usage of like, you know, very like otherwise, like institutions with otherwise high integrity to for like, you know, like hidden causes, like ulterior motives is definitely happening. But the emergency was something different. You were throwing everyone left, right, and center into jail. You were you you removed parliament's power for twenty one months, right? And she 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 ruled like a dictator. Like Jeff, we don't have a Jay Prakash Narayan. Like unless you have, uh, unless you have that level of scourge across the country with like like a vasectomy drive to control population, like things which only you imagine in Kim Jong Un's regime today, right? I think we can we can liken ourselves to the emergency. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think in many ways, it's a false equivalence when people start talking about Modi's uh, supposedly authoritarian uh, use of his mandate uh, to take over certain institutional frameworks of Indian democracy. I think it's a false equivalence with Indira Gandhi because what Indira Gandhi did was outright dictatorial. What Modi is doing is more in the lines of this elected autocrat model that has sprouted across the world, especially in uh, populist regimes. So be it um, in, in America, be it in the UK, be it perhaps more severely in places like Israel. But what I want to steer this discussion towards is actually a a comparison and a contrast between Indira and Modi, because I find both of these personalities very fascinating. I think they are two of the most, I wouldn't use the word popular, but most impressionable prime ministers in Indian history after Jawaharlal Nehru. And unlike Nehru, I think both of them have a lot of similarities in terms of the personality, in terms of the cult of personality around their politics. So... I mean, what strikes me as uh, as being very disparate, first and foremost, between Modi and Indira is how they come from very different backgrounds. 
how do you think their backgrounds has influenced the kind of politics they have managed to offer as prime ministers so firstly i don't think there are many similarities right where they are both leaders who were very strong willed who are very strong willed and uh, like uh, rule with some amount of autocracy and the centralized power within their working but i think it stops literally there and there's there's so much more to the to the profile of a leader and to a politician and to compare them is is i think it's just because we have fairly more different people on the political landscape over the years right so it's not their fault they are different but uh, on just on that question i think indira gandhi coming from a far more erudite background where her drawing room included like uh, people of uh, lit- from, from the from literature people from around the world like international leaders and the, the her upbringing was core corely political and the thoughts she had the the the, the heavy tilt towards socialism was all influenced like because a large part was influenced because she she grew up as the first daughter of india right? and mm-hmm. uh, that plays a big role in, in even in the myopic way in which she went about her politics and her administration later on and so so i think her background is fair for like fairly different even the struggles she is known to have gone through are fairly different from the very common commoner struggles which modi has seen right and modi is far more a self made man not not that i am trying to praise him there <laughs> but his his trajectory is very different the way the enlightenment process he went through when he read up on swami vivekananda left home and went off into the himalayas his trajectory is different he's come up from bureaucracy into politics uh, you only told me a few days back right that he didn't he he wasn't even chief, he wasn't even elected he didn't fight his first election before he became gujarat's chief minister right so yes yes he's he's and a, a small anecdote person. on that i mean the kind of uh, real politic that the people like narendra modi are used to so he actually sent a memo to uh, several news media houses against keshubhai patel who was then the chief ministerial candidate for gujarat basically to try and get some sort of flack against him going so that people in the bjp would consider modi over keshubhai patel so this is a man that wouldn't hesitate going against his own party members so that's the kind of real politic that modi has come from and i think once you mention background it's also very important to acknowledge that unlike indira gandhi narendra modi was never really the chosen one i mean even with indira perhaps you could argue that she wasn't the chosen one per se but i think after let's say the turn of the 1960s indira started becoming this hostess kind of a figure where she would accompany nehru and she would play second fiddle to nehru in meeting leaders in organizing meetings and she was seen as this hostess of uh, of the congress and there was this mm-hmm. feeling that she would one day succeed nehru what i think is important is what indira did after she became prime minister so there was this idea that she would be a mouthpiece for the senior leaders of the congress in fact they even gave her uh, an epithet which is the gungi gudia but then the gungi gudia suddenly became very provocative and very vociferous once she became prime minister and she took everything in her charge which of course led to the splitting of the congress in 69 uh, and then congress essentially became an indira bastion you compare that to modi and he is somebody as you rightly said who has gone through all those uh, different hierarchies risen through the different strata of uh, what is essentially a very uh, intricate system of politics that the rss and then the bjp eventually has modi played a very important part in organizing uh, Advani's Rath Yatra in '92, and in many ways he was seen as this great event manager, right? Mm-hmm. So, but people never thought he would be prime minister. Like even uh, in 2004, uh, when the UPA started its first term, I don't think a lot of people would have believed that if you told them in 10 years' time Narendra Modi would be prime minister and buy such a huge mandate. They, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't. But you know what? I think that's literally where I draw the comparison to Modi's favor over Indira's. 
is that he thought he would be prime minister, right? And that's literally something you see as a trend in Congress. The same thing they did when, when Nehru died, Lal Bahadur Shastri somehow wasn't good enough for the Congress very soon. And when Rajiv Gandhi died and they tried to protect his legacy by bringing in Sonia Gandhi, assuming that their female infusion into their CWC would be some kind of a, some kind of a very, uh, someone who, who's valuable for the others, right? Mm-hmm. They have a legacy of reluctant, reticent people leading the charge and who somehow go in and like spoil things at the helm, right? Or assume too much power or too little responsibility. And compare, compare that to someone who's literally risen through the ranks and at least he thought he would be prime minister. And these guys didn't even, didn't even have these aims unless it, the family thrusted upon them, right? But mm-hmm. so interesting thing you mentioned about the hostess point, right? Where uh, I remember uh, she decorated, I think, Zulfikar Ali Bhutto's room, right? When yes, she was yes. going to meet him. And that mm-hmm. meeting didn't turn out well, but she literally went around daily picking up artifacts and carpets from different VIP homes in Dutkins and putting it into the place where she, she, he was going to live. So I, th- I think there was a very, there was a very uh, funny personality, side of the personality to Indira. But I want to draw it more towards the economic front, right? I think yeah. the kind of, we can make a very high contrast between the, the economic policies of Indira and the economic policies of Modi, right? I mm-hmm. think uh, Indira had a fairly less consultative, consultative or uh, visionary economic policy. Look at the way she just reversed, like she went full guns blazing into socialism, even more than Nehru Malanobis model said, right? Mm-hmm. So she literally debased the socialist base of the Nehru Malanobis model. There was a reason they didn't go fully Soviet. And they kept it to what the, the economists told them in 47. And she just, she, she nationalized, I think her downfall began from 74 when she nationalized the whole, the wholesale for wheat. They went on to banks, went on to coal mines. She, she, uh, she really, she, she forgot that the winds of change were moving towards privatization across the world, right? So, mm-hmm. and her consultations with, uh, with people who were largely socialist in nature. And she, she misread that the country wanted the preamble to read socialist the word socialist within that. So I think she's she, she didn't make these mistakes and didn't have a policy that really reflected those types. Whereas Modi at least has far more consultation with the industry. He's more open. And of course, the, the simple binary is socialism versus full-on, full-throttle capitalism. He's, he's even going to liberalize the railways. Mm-hmm. But I think when you mentioned that Modi is apparently more consultative, I mean, that might happen to a certain extent with the industry. But even that, it happens with a businessman and industrialist that he's on very good terms with. So the likes of Adani and those who rose to great prominence uh, during his chief ministership at Gujarat. But what I find startling about Modi is his ability to take decisions that shake up the system without any consultation with the correspondent institution. So the classic case being demonetization when there was absolutely no consultation whatsoever with the Reserve Bank of India. And prior to that, like uh, he did it in what November 2016, right? Prior to that, they had been mooting the idea of something similar. And uh, Raghuram Rajan, who was then the governor, had strongly advised the government against taking such a measure. But Modi just suddenly decided that, you know, he was going to go ahead and demonetize uh, the 500 and the 1000 rupee notes. Many people actually see that as not uh, an economic measure, but as a measure to uh, cripple the other party's finances ahead of the UP elections. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people thought that the economic argument, the idea of black money was essentially a smokescreen that was used by the BJP. But whatever, I think the main idea about Modi and the main difference I see in between the policies of Indira and Modi is that Indira's policies are fairly reactionary. And I think in many ways, they are reactionary, not just towards the greater trends that were taking place across Asia and across the world, but also reactionary towards the old Congress guard. It seemed for a large part of her political career and 
I would say till uh, the imposition of the emergency, so essentially the first half of her prime ministership, it seemed that everything she did was in an attempt to rebut uh, what the old Congress guard thought she could not do or thought uh-huh. wasn't the right thing to do. Whereas with Modi, it's of course part of a larger vision that stems um, in many ways from the Gujarat model and uh, in terms of policy making, of course, in terms of political realm, it stems from the, the Hindutva legacy. No, so the, of course, you're correct in, in terms of how her policies were largely reactionary. Mm-hmm. But I think that's an interesting parallel to draw even in, as in the larger front of how the strong measures of both these leaders play, play right? With Article 370 and all these things which they've done, which literally stems from their unprovocated, un, uh, like unprovocated manifesto, right? It's completely of their own accord. Their, Modi's policies are largely actionary, regardless of whether it's on what front, economic or social. Indra's was reactionary even to her opposition and not just to the Congress. Not like hmm. when you spoke about Modi and how he's not consultative. Draw another comparison. Right? In 1963. There was a Kamdar report given to Nehru and that literally reversed the fortunes of an otherwise on the track to being crippled Congress that time, right? Where the Kamdar was, the, the, I think, the chief minister from Madras, right? And, he's, and he suggested that all the top Congress brass, four or five chief ministers, Kamraj the, the Kamraj plan. Yeah, Kamraj. That, uh, that, that, they, that they resign from their posts and let younger leadership take up and they go back to the constituencies, work on the grassroots with the people, yes. right? Something which Rahul Gandhi should do right now. <laughs> but hmm. but that's that literally like compare the way in which Indira completely ignored stuff like that. Like she she never made moves which were in line with what the party wanted or send send these old people back to ground zero, right? Like hmm. Modi does. Modi makes sure that his party people are, even if it's prachar and it's propaganda to a large level, right? At least he makes sure that electorally, he's not being defeated on that front, which Indra never did. Like her politics was a very funny, the myopic politics because she just removed everyone in one sweep. And look at the amount of support she lost after that. I, I don't yes. think even the split into Congress, I, her, uh, her faction was necessarily an actionary move. She's been reactionary throughout. In fact, the only thing I think she's done which is actionary is her walking, uh, like going into Belgium after the Dalit massacre mm-hmm. on uh, on Elephant Back. Mm. <laughs> and that's where she started to revival. Yes, but I think also what we need to realize is that we're looking at two different political systems and two different political cultures in which both these leaders were operating. Today, the BJP is part of an electoral juggernaut with Modi at the tip of it, with Modi being the face of the brand, as it were. It, it actually runs like a corporation, the BJP. If you look at how centralized it is, if you look at how uh, the micromanagement of the organization is absolutely impeccable in terms of the way they dis- disseminate messages on WhatsApp groups to the way uh, party cadres work at the grassroots level. Of course, back in the day, there was no such organization uh, among the Congress and certainly not among Indira's wing. So Indira's politics was more about the politics of charisma, about creating certain connections with the people that priorly hadn't existed. So Nehru, of course, was a very popular leader, but I don't think he had that direct mass appeal that Indira cultivated. I mean, you could say that in the end, it wasn't very effectual, but she did have it, right? I mean, when she uh, launched the Gadi Bihatao campaign, when uh, people were like, uh, Indira ko hatao, and then she turned it into Gadi Biko hatao. And then uh-huh. people started, you know, all these slogans that India is Indira, Indira is in India. So that populist uh-huh. appeal, I think, is something that largely preserves her legacy. Uh, but you're right, in terms of policy making, perhaps there wasn't any impressive achievement. But I will give credit to her for how she handled the, the 74 situation. I think that was a pivotal moment for India, not in terms of not just in terms of the geopolitical scenario, 
but also in terms of what it stood for as a country and of course look with respect to military achievements there is only so much credit that can be given to an elected head of state but oh. at the same time what i felt was very impressive from indira's point of view was how she did not succumb to american pressure especially american pressure that was being led by henry kissinger who was then uh, i believe the the security advisor or secretary of state either of those portfolios so it, she did not succumb to american pressure and not did she openly quote the soviet union so i felt that was a very important step in india's democratic history where she kind of stood up to the the imperial forces yeah in fact there was a journalist who went to ask indira gandhi uh, ma'am which way do you lean or do you does india which way does india tilt does it tilt towards the soviets or towards america and she mm-hmm. said well india does not tilt it stands upright and, yes. and it was a <laughs> yeah but but even even there i mean uh, i think indira gandhi so in general i think a golden rule in politics is that the politics of the present is a reaction to the inefficiencies of the past and mm-hmm. uh, the impeccability of the corporate machine that the bjp rss combined is is largely because of the absolute like the abject failure to be that by the manmohan singh government and the and the ways in which and where we can make a contrast between modi and how he goes on a single trajectory right i don't think since 2014 the opposition has got a word in edgeways and indira and the frequency of her reversals if you look at after she came in after morarji desai she had she just reversed and she brought down inflation she focused on somewhere the, the like the, the more private sector type functioning and efficiencies of the state enterprises she went slightly mm-hmm. less full throttle on the socialism aspect right and she reversed her policy she went down back to ground zero belchi is an example she so, also started promoting her own version of soft hindutva you know going out to temples and being seen doing religious things which previously she would not be seen doing exactly so 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 these reversals are not things which modi as as of now has is like has characterized into his profile as a prime minister so i think there he is far more in touch with what he wants uh he's more in touch or at least he's able to propagate what he wants and make people agree or make it seem as if people agree and he's going on his trajectory unhindered since he started and indira didn't have that right she had too many problems on her way because as is typical of the congress they she had too many consultants not all of whom were on her side mm-hmm. right i think uh, i forget the name of her cabinet secretary like someone who was very close to her right her amit shah but pn uh, haskar yes yes pn haskar right not quite so, her amit shah but i can you can i guess you can call him uh, her confidant but yeah uh, he was very crucial and it's interesting that you bring that up because what i also wanted to talk about is how these uh, sort of uh, right hand men or whatever you want to call them second in command how they differ with respect to indira gandhi and, uh, and narendra modi of course with indira it was pn haskar who was in some ways effectively her pa and uh, it's very interesting because it was only after that pn haskar was kind of sidelined within her coterie that she started doing these ridiculous things whether it be the imposition of the emergency or the whole sterilization drive that was led by sanjay gandhi uh, as long as pn haskar was there dictating matters for her she led a fairly balanced prime ministership but i think to compare that uh, to to compare that with amit shah would be fair and unfair on two separate mm-hmm. levels one is of course amit shah is a political strategist pn haskar wasn't really a political strategist and i think the other thing to consider is uh, indira and pn haskar had this sort of deferential relationship which i don't think applies so much to modi and amit shah i think with modi and amit shah it's almost like a match of convenience they both obviously have a certain degree of respect for each other but they also realize that they are not like some incredible soulmates 
that are at the top of the system. And in many ways, I think in certain aspects of the Indian media, it's kind of portrayed that, you know, that Modi and Shah are like two best friends oh. and like Jaya yeah. and Viru running the Indian democracy. That, that is, is not definitely true. not. Yes. They didn't know each other before for a long time while both were into politics. And like they, they met in they met in very different circumstances. There were also been fallouts, and there were times where it was very obvious that uh, their relationship is not at the, in the best of times. And like there were times when Modi was pretty willing to let Amit Shah go, and when even when uh, Amit Shah wanted charge of more than just UP, when Modi became prime minister and candidate in twenty thirteen, as the as the rumors said. He wasn't given more than just the, the charge of UP. So it's not like it's always, it's, even though it's of convenience, it's not even been like, it's not even been convenient to both of them at all points of time, to put it that way. So that's it's very different from me and Oscar. But what I found interesting there is I didn't know uh, so much about me and Oscar and Indra's relationship. And uh, I think the it goes back to where, I, where the first question you threw at that uh, her upbringing is of erudition. And it reeks of erudition and of, of a literally drawing room. It's literally like a Tagore who couldn't do much with the kind of drawing room he got. Because it's it's it, it's funny how she literally, when she went independent, she couldn't do much and ended up taking decisions like the emergency, an insecure, insecurity reflecting emergency. Hmm. But with a bureaucrat or with someone far more wise by her side, she could do better, which is not the case with Modi, right? With or without Amit Shah, he has taken it. In fact, with Amit Shah, he's faced far more criticisms, not electorally, but policy-wise. Hmm. But uh, as Home Minister, Amit Shah has really like ruined his record a bit. Hmm. But uh, without Amit Shah, he's still taken yeah. a fair bit of good policy measures, even after Amit Shah was on the run, as after the after the fake investigation case. In Gujarat, Modi was doing a, doing a terrific job, at least as it, it went down in history. So yeah, so there's there's, this, there's, a, there's this word of mouth story that suggests when Sanjay Gandhi, uh, right, which is which which is like slight deviation, but that tells you so much about the Congress that uh, they are they are they are a bunch of reluctant politicians. Not not that I have something particular against the Congress, but it, it's like the British royal family. The mm-hmm. Queen Indira Gandhi is like Queen Victoria, and Edward the Seventh is like Sanjay Gandhi, who who did that. Of course, Sanjay died, but Edward the Seventh abdicated, and they couldn't, and the, the real chosen one couldn't be there in power, and the throne went to reluctant Rajiv Gandhi, who tried his best mm-hmm. to hold the legacy, and Elizabeth is Sonia Gandhi, who came in so reluctantly and never did much, but is continuing ad infinitum, and Charles is Rahul Gandhi, who like no one knows what's going to happen, but no one expects anything good to happen. Yes, so, I think yeah, I would I would use a different analogy for. Yeah, I would use a different analogy for Rahul. Though I think I'd like to call him um, as having the reverse Midas touch, which basically means everything he touches turns into garbage. But I think, uh, to be fair to Rahul as well, I think uh, the problem for him is that he's come into an era of Indian politics where the Congress no longer has the infrastructure to be as relevant to the political machinery as the BJP is. So for Rahul to reform, he kind of has to start from scratch, which again, he can't do because of the, the old guard, the hegemony that still dictates the Congress. So he's got his task cut out. But uh, just one thing, uh, one quick anecdote I wanted to mention um, about Amit Shah when you were talking about the, the fake encounter case. So, and this is just word of mouth, so like, don't quote me on this. But um, apparently when Amit Shah was, was in jail and he was being uh, investigated, there were uh, certain offers that were made to him in the sense that he was told that if he's going to provide any evidence against Narendra Modi, if he can provide some linkages showing that Modi was clearly complicit, then he would be let off. 
but amit shah refused to do that and there is a certain theory and again i'm not saying that this is the correct theory or this is the genuine theory but there is a theory that that is why modi is at least accepting of of shah to a certain extent that he is not of other political leaders in the bjp because maybe modi somewhere feels that he's indebted to amit shah for not um, implicating him but i think the whatever whether this is true or not is something we can't prove of course but what is more important is that amit shah plays a very important foil to narendra modi which indira gandhi did not have in her setup so amit shah is the belligerent uh, hindutvavadi if you want to call him that he believes in the hindu nation theory he is going to go ahead and implement those policies and which is why it was very significant that he is the one who actually spoke on the floor of the parliament about uh, both when when the article uh, article 370 was abrogated as well as when the caa was brought in it wasn't modi modi wasn't even there in parliament during the caa he's got to beat he's got no. to raise the bit yeah yeah but but what i see i think we've seen in the past when all these measures have been brought in it's not uh, let's say beyond precedence to see a prime minister actually speak about these issues even if it's the home minister who introduces the bill right but the fact that modi was sat on the benches during 370 for the entirety of uh, amit shah's uh, address and that he wasn't there at all when the caa was passed in a way i think suggests that amit shah provides that foil where he is the more belligerent face of hindutva policy whereas modi becomes the statesman he becomes as i think you were saying a few days ago the a political authority and he wants to sort of rise above all these issues and be the face of india in a global scenario and indira gandhi did not have that she never had anybody uh, for better or worse who could actually provide a foil to her uh, her leadership during the congress so modi did participate in the debate right which and uh, interesting is exactly like you mentioned his is a purely technical addition to the debate and all the sound and fury is brought in by amit shah mm-hmm. it's right? so so that you're right but i think modi is has been able to do that very effectively since 2014 even without amit shah right he allows the fringe elements to do the, their job and if you notice the criticism afforded to the the, the entire secular card criticism to modi's prime ministership and if you compare it with the kind of criticism given to indira's strong arming and indira's emergency in strong moves it's very different because modi does not directly become accountable for many fringe elements that are at play like the whole bhp hindu parivar some parivar mm-hmm. combined that does everything that like the lynchings and everything that is wrong with secularism in india has has never been attributed directly to modi so you 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 quickly realize that he either he is a front or he's definitely delinked from it but he is not in the thick of the, the affairs when it comes to hindutva and he's been able to use that very effectively to to tailor make his his own stitch up his own uh, image of a statesman but more important like more noticeably he he said this in an interview himself right that he wants he is an apolitical prime minister and mm-hmm. that, that's of course because amit shah does the politics for him because someone's got to keep doing the politics but mm-hmm. another comparison there is that indira gandhi did do politics at all right there was a period of time where she literally had no connect to whether so in 1977 when she decided she's going to lift the emergency she literally had no way of knowing whether she's going to win or not and she just assumed that the socialist plus nationalist vibe which she had created and the the card nationalism card which she had played was somehow going to bring her bring her back her benefits right compare that to the booth to booth feedback policy which amit shah follows of course yes. it's not unanimously successful it's not universally successful but it's so polarly opposed and it goes right back to the roots which we began indira gandhi comes from top down modi begins mm. from bottom up yes 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 i think that's correct and i think also 
to understand that Indira Gandhi was fairly confident that she would be voted back uh, or remain in power rather in 77 when she called for the election. So it came quite as a shock to her that <laughs> obviously she was voted out. And I think, again, this goes back to the point of having two very different political uh, setups in which both these systems operate, uh, the BJP as well as the Congress. But as we sort of neared the, the conclusion of this discussion, one thing I want to now raise is the question of legacy. Because if you look at Indian prime ministers, uh, I think what, there have been, Modi's the 16th, I believe, 15th or 16th? Yes, yes. 16th, yeah. 16th, yes. I mean, we now know what Indira's legacy is. In many ways, she's seen as uh, the the great dictator of India. But she also has a more benevolent side that the people try to portray. She's seen as this connoisseur of art, as kind of a stateswoman kind of a figure, as somebody who still represents in some way. It doesn't help India much. No, no, I know it doesn't. But what I'm saying is for posterity, it's still an impression that holds in, in large sectors, right? I mean, and Indira Gandhi is not seen as just a dictator is what I'm trying uh-huh. to say. She has a lot of uh, cultural capital, as it were, that still paves the way for a lot of the Congress people. And in many uh-huh. ways, uh, the fact that that strong leadership existed at one point in time mm-hmm. is sometimes seen as a redemptive feature of the Congress legacy. You know, and especially this was evident when uh, Priyanka was started campaigning uh, towards the, the latter part of the 2019 elections. And people were talking about how, you know, she had this physical mm-hmm. resemblance with Indira, so there might be some political capital to cash in on. Because clearly there is a section of the population that still believes that Indira Gandhi uh, holds that sway. So mm-hmm. what I want to get at... Uh, is what do you think will be the legacy of Modi? In many ways, it's it's an empty question uh-huh. because, of course, we it can't is, peek into the future. It's being formed. It's still being formed. Yes, it's being it's still being formed. But I think as pure speculation and because we sort of do yeah. these contemplative, yeah. futuristic yeah. Uh, discussions, uh, uh. do you think that Narendra Modi would be seen as somebody who became the divider-in-chief as the Time magazine uh, portrayed him well, on the cover? You know, I think that that's an absolute misnomer. I, th- I, I thoroughly disagree with the Time magazine. I do not support the Hindutva card. I think their interpretation of even Hinduism is terrible. But I don't support divider-in-chief tag from Narendra Modi. So how do you think it will be remembered? Yeah, so just two things, right, which, which, like I, which comes to mind on that. First is Modi does not have a pan-India presence, right? Even though he's come across as the, the strong Indian leader, the one who united the political brass and like took off the majority in the Lok Sabha. He, you notice he does not have a presence in the South. Yes. He is failing in some places in the Hindi heartland, places like Punjab, right? Whereas Indra Gandhi didn't do that. Second, Indra Gandhi won her votes purely on policy or on mass appeal or like in a very simple way, right? Like her her political Machiavellianism wasn't as high as Modi's. For example, just look at Lingayats, right? The way he's, mm. the way they got the Lingayats vote in Karnataka is crazy. I mean, they, the, so the Lingayats literally have no documented population, but everyone knows they form a large, they la- form a large block of the electorate in Karnataka. And mm. successive Congress BJP governments have made sure that no one knows how many Lingayats are there because they keep their own secret reserves of data and they use them for electoral benefit. And mm. they put in a, when when they were when the Congress was giving pro Lingayat policies, these guys put in a Lingayat chief ministerial candidate, and this is just representative of what they do across India. That's mm. one right. The the way they do their politics is very different. They're probably going to go down more for their, as you said, their corporate work and this kind of like Machiavellianism mm. than for out and out populist politics, right? Because they have many prongs at which they function. The second is that he doesn't have a pan-India presence. 
and yeah. that's that 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 can severely impact if not his immediate political future then at least his legacy because there is some kind of unanimity when we talk about indira even if it's about the dark times or if it's about the good times right that degree of unanimity is going to like lack mm. if you look at just covid 19 right in kerala the narrative is not as national as it as it is say in a bengal or uh, delhi where mm. where more these policies are making a difference because their government there is pretty much in, like in favor with what with, with the policies they're implementing so 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 he's going to have a far more fractured legacy unless of course things change in the coming time oh yes and no very important prong is that the religion card isn't attached as much to indira right and even the yep. modi as a person is distance from it i'm not i'm sure his prime ministership at least for these two terms till now is not going to be not going to be divorced from the religion card because it's been on play right like garwapsi and all has been playing around all over india so you can't divorce it from the times of modi yes i think absolutely pertinent points over there but what is also interesting to remember about modi is that he sees himself as a man of destiny he sees himself as somebody who was meant to be prime minister even if people did not want him to be prime minister or did not think he would be um and there's this very interesting uh, anecdote that rajdeep sardesai shares in his book um, called uh, how modi won india 2019 uh-huh. where he says that there was a panel discussion on i think it was channel news network 18 or something that uh, uh-huh. sardesai was anchor back then and it was an english uh-huh. discussion and they had modi and at that time modi wasn't even chief minister it was before that uh-huh. and of course they needed to speak in english so um modi was supposed to speak on the show but then moments before the show sardesai got in touch with uh, pramod mahajan who is a much more eloquent speaker or uh-huh. in english and so uh-huh. they replaced modi with mahajan but uh, sardesai did not tell modi that he was replaced because he couldn't speak good english so right uh-huh. after the show ended modi called up sardesai and he told him aap mujhe isliye nahi liye kyunki meri english kharab hai na dekhna main ek din uh-huh. uh, bahut bade platform mein एक बहुत अच्छी इंग्लिश स्पीच दूंगा right uh-huh. it's very also very interesting to uh, know that modi actually had a portrait of jawaharlal nehru in his office when he was chief minister of gujarat so uh-huh. there are many who believe that um, he has this sort of love hate relationship with nehru a sort of parasocial dynamic where he tries to become greater than nehru in, in the mass uh, imagination but yes i think as you said uh, modi's uh, legacies will be far more fractured irrespective of how long he continues as prime minister uh-huh. but i also think he is a, he is at this unique juncture of history unique juncture of indian history given the apathetic lack of opposition at least at the central uh-huh. level uh-huh. he can rewrite a large chunk of his history depending on how he handles himself in what remains of this term and potentially if he runs for a third term um, in in 2024 because you know public memory is very short right people very easily forget and at least to some extent forgive as a collective consciousness so i think if he can steer india towards a model where it becomes this uh, new rising force i mean it was always supposed to be this new rising force in the 21st century uh-huh. but if he gives it this foundation especially the after covid 19 because yeah. a lot of countries will have been backtracked as a result of covid 19 especially you look at the european countries like uk and france have suffered an awful lot so there's a vacuum in the geopolitical scenario that modi can capitalize and i think it a lot depends on how whether he decides to go for this ideological push 
in terms of uh, making India more right wing or more driven along the lines of uh, Hindutva uh, nationalism, uh, or whether he decides that you know what I have got my mandate in place, my Hindu vote uh, is in place. Uh, now I will turn to a more international framework where I start concentrating on India's economic and uh, uh, its its political growth rather than just the security of the vote bank with respect to Hindu nationalism. I think he's done that already. I think he's shown time and again that he is a master of switching between politics and administration. And uh, just take COVID nineteen, right? When he made the MSME thing, you know, the liberals are up in arms, and like the common public is going crazy over how twenty thousand crores was all credit. People like those in my firm are damn happy, right? They are like they they got listed as a medium sector. They they fall fell into the raised ceiling bracket, and that's common across the Hindi heartland. He's he's no fool, right? He's done it for a reason. It brings in so he it reigns in so much of the uh, otherwise disenfranchised Hindi heartland businessmen, which is literally his core vote bank. It brings in so many of the religious leaders and the people in arts and so many like people on ground zero who want a small move to see that their Modi ji is in place, right? It's very simple for him. I think he's mastered the political craft to a level where he he is going to focus on administration. And he's shown time and again that he's willing to take decisions that somewhere also hits his core vote bank because demonetization, if not, if anything, hit his core vote bank the most, like the, the the corrupt or just unscrupulous businessmen. So he's going to implement whatever is politically, socially more like more relevant or beneficial for India. But he's going to make sure that right in the before election year, he comes up with an accidental prime minister and a Vivek Obroy playing him on screen and he turns <laughs> the tide around again. So, mm-hmm. so, so, so that uh, that ambi- ambivalence of who he is as a politician or uh, or a statesman is going to keep happening. And not out and out a Modi support. There have been policies and moves which I which I thoroughly am not in support of. But mm-hmm. I still think of, like you repose like one one can repose faith in things to come. I even think his COVID nineteen handling is not good enough. I don't think CA handling was good enough, but. Hmm. Yeah, I really think that his ability to switch, and especially the geopolitical front. All right, then I think uh, as we wrap up, uh, perhaps uh, I mean the final observation that I would like to make with respect to Indira and Modi, since it's been uh, kind of binary between yeah. them, is yeah. that Indira Gandhi was much more than just a prime minister. She was uh, a daughter. She was uh, a wife. She was a mother. She was this connoisseur of art. She was somebody who saw herself as as a stateswoman, as somebody. Who has a polit- has a has a personal space outside the political spectrum? With uh, Narendra Modi, the feeling I get is that he is a twenty four seven politician. He does not see himself in any other role apart from that of India's Prime Minister. Uh, and perhaps uh, that will be the enduring difference when we assess uh, both their legacies, whenever it is that yeah. Modi is is done and dusted uh, in the Indian political scenario. The fact yeah. that somebody was so obsessed with yeah. being the leader that he uh, made everything about his life. About that prime ministership, I mean, I'll it's kind of why diff- that yes, yes, yes. Because compare it with Vajpayee. Vajpayee was a poet, an artist, and the things he did, and the literary side to him was somewhere a very, also a very dominating side of his personality, mm. which kind of cost him the image he he needed. As so, he I think one of his most more iron iron head moves was Kargil, and mm. uh, that too when he was a caretaker government. So contrast that with when he lost, he was tilting towards the poetry and uh, the anti-Pakistan, but still poetry and uh, the literary side, which did go down as well with the vote base of the BJP, which literally looks for a very strong man at the helm. 
So, so there is a reason, right? And if you notice, there he he's been sobering up his image. His his positioning, like just from a marketing point of view, is is really great. As in, he's been he's just the image change and the soberness which is coming in. Just look at a rally from 2013 December when he won his candidacy, and look at a rally today, or just look at the man today. And there is a soberness that he's brought into himself. Of course, not that you can call him sober, but only in relative terms. And I think he's he's got to gradually tilt towards that, and towards somewhere towards the twilight of whatever how whatever is his ultimate term, he is going to bring in that literary side to him because he's very well aware of how he has to build a legacy. That's something we can be sure he's going to do, whether he wins or loses in times to come. But mm. right now he's he's focusing on what what he promised to an electorate. Right? Not that I want to sound as a, as as if I defend Modi. But mm-hmm. yeah, it seems like part of a game plan we can predict from what we know about Modi. It's so easy to extrapolate. He's going to leave a legacy and he's going to come to building a legacy when the time comes. Like literally, he began campaigning during the 2019 voting. Yes. Like there were, his campaign was all, he started very late and it went on right when you were going to press the ballot button. Mm-hmm. So his creation of a legacy, the conscious like moves to create a legacy are perhaps going to come very late. And not like Obama, right? Who started giving his funny speeches in 2009. I think it's also unfair to compare with the American presidential system. Where you yeah, definitely. Definitely. definitely yeah. 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 Okay, great. So I think as we wrap up, um, the one thing that I'm looking forward to seeing in the Indian political scenario is whether Modi's supreme confidence, his bravado, his image as uh, this one-man show, whether it leads into the kind of hubris that we saw with Indira Gandhi. And if it does lead into a kind of hubris that we saw with Indira Gandhi, what is going to be Modi's nemesis as the emergency was Indira's nemesis? Because yeah. when you look at great personalities across history, it is this yeah. complex dynamic between hubris and nemesis that ultimately yeah. determines legacy. So I think we'll have to wait and watch if and when there is a nemesis think, to contrast uh, uh, or to tackle Modi's hubris. I think to for every Indira, you need a Jay Prakash Narayan. Yes. So there is no Jay Prakash Narayan in the political landscape for Modi. And I think he's also effectively making sure that is it going to be one? Yes. So yeah, I agree. And that is an open question as to whether that is healthy for Indian democracy or not. <laughs> we'll find yeah. out. I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Shalom. Shalom. Yo. Bye. Bye. Hi guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of That's What We Said. I'm sure a lot of you will have a lot of disagreements and differences with what we spoke about regarding both Indira Gandhi and Narendra Modi. So please make yourselves heard on the comment section. If you want to raise some other points, talk about some other Indian Prime Minister who you think has certain similarities or differences that are stark with Ms. Gandhi or Mr. Modi, please also do mention that. Click on the bell icon to subscribe to our podcasts. We'll be back soon. Take care.